You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl, Yasmeen Yazzie Speaks Arrington, host of Millennial Minds. I hope you're ready and tuned in and excited. We've got two pastors here with us this evening. We've got Pastor L.K. Floyd of Heart Changers Baptist Church in Silver Spring, Maryland. He's the first vice president and upcoming president of the Baptist Ministers Conference of Washington, D.C. and vicinity. And he's also the vice president of the National Capital Baptist Convention. And also we have pastor of Uplift Church, Reverend Marquez Ball. He is also the religious affairs liaison at the National Action Network and is a doctoral student. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Oh, thank you for having us. Of course. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Doing great. That's what I like to hear. So we're going to dive right in. Um, Reverend Ball and Reverend Floyd, when did you both, when did you discover that you have a calling for proclamation? How old were you and what was it that confirmed confirmed that for you? Well, I um, started preaching at 15 years old in my early year, uh, part of my life. Uh, I was getting into a lot of this and a lot of that. I'm not going to go through the whole story. I'm going to give a shorter version. But at 15. He was a thug. <laughs> well, I wouldn't use the word. I was just. That's all right. We uh, all, what they say, saints, every saint has a has a future. Every sinner has a past. Every yeah, saint every has, has a past. past. Every sinner, sinner has, has a future. Yeah, yeah. So I was getting a lot of trouble, getting in trouble in school. And so uh, one day I, I gave my life to Christ. It was March 27th. And ever since then I started, the Lord started dealing with me. And I started preaching at an early age when I was licensed at the age of 15 years old, and I was in the uh, 10th grade, but I had a wow. traumatic uh, salvation experience that called, and the call of God came subsequent to that. When you say dramatic, just what? what? <clears throat> when I say dramatic, it was mm-hmm. a total lifestyle change. Before that, um, my brother uh, was a street, ph- street pharmaceutical specialist. <laughs> uh, my I'm father, the, I'm your mother. My, I'm your daddy. I'm my your father. I, I grew up in the uh, family. My father had left when I, at an early age. He okay. uh, became homeless and a drunk. But I did have a Christian mother. Mm-hmm. And but during that time, my mother could not help me. Only Jesus could help me. And so my mother mm. did all she could do, trying to raise uh, seven kids on her own. Mm. But I started moving toward street life and mm-hmm. moving toward. Um, a different pathway and God spoke to me through a pastor and from then my life was changed and after my life was changed I began to feel the sense the a call of God at an early age and when I say dramatic it happened it seemed like to me overnight like a 180 it's just a complete 180 mm-hmm. one night wow overnight Reverend Ball um well for me I um grew up in uh New Orleans Louisiana mm-hmm. and I would say I, in middle school, um, kind of connected with a, a different group of fellows. Uh, we uh, used to have our, um, some, of, some of the stuff we used to do, well, the only thing we did was it's legalized now in some states, but back then it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> this was in middle school. And, oh, okay. And uh, in high school, um, what happened was I grew up in, in church and things like that. Even as a kid and on the kindergarten playground, I had a little Gideon Bible. I was play preaching or what have you. My dad was a pastor as well. My grandfather was a pastor. Mm-hmm. I was just playing with it. Um, but <laughs> in high school, um, I uh, went to, I 
I, I would normally start my day by going to the bus stop and we would do um, some of our stuff there and then we'd do another some at lunch. And so after my lunch and our little recreational stuff, I went to my ROTC class and Sergeant Bobby Guillory um, called me to his office, our ROTC instructor, and he said to me, God had a different path for my life mm-hmm. and that the people I was hanging with, I shouldn't be hanging with. And while I grew up in church, my grandmother had me in church. I never missed Sunday school, went to vacation Bible school, did all of that. For whatever reason, it was then that the light bulb kind of went off. And um, that particular day, I decided not to ride home with a friend of mine. My friend Tyrone King had just gotten a car from his brother. Tyrone didn't have a license yet, but his brother had given him a car and all of our friends was riding with him um, home. And I decided not to. I decided to catch the bus. It just so happened that as I caught the bus, the bus was behind Tyrone letting a friend off who lived right across the street. In New Orleans, you have what's called um, undercover cop street crimes or what have you. And um, they circled the car. As I'm getting off the bus, the car that I should have been in, I watched all of my friends that they get thrown up against walls and they all mm. tried to run. And I knew there were drugs in that car. Mm. But for me that day, I had made a decision to do something different with my life and to give my life to Christ. And so I started wow. um, speaking in the um, Christian club at John Eric High School. And the Christian club then about had about eight or ten people in it. But God used me and it grew to the point that we had to have it in the morning and in the afternoon. And the teachers began to listen in on the PA system a Mm -hmm. choir came out of that so that's what really got me speaking and so then I felt God calling me to ministry I called my dad let my dad know um, and let my pastor in New Orleans know uh, Dr. Samuel Travis Jr. and um, after that I began um, going through a ministry and training program preached my initial sermon before graduating and the rest is history. Wow I think it's really phenomenal and dynamic that both of you um received your I'm say I'm going to call it calling uh, at such a young age and I think that definitely goes to show that it doesn't matter your age um, if you have a love for God or love for Christ and or if someone is speaking to you like you said it was your it was a sergeant mm-hmm. right yep. in ROTC and um, for you it was a pastor, a pastor. A pastor. right and so um, <clears throat> definitely, it doesn't matter your age, but millennials can certainly um, be of service um, and be have public speaking and even receive a call at a very young age. So you're never too young. Um, now, both of you have also started churches. Um, if you could talk with us about, you know, when did you receive that revelation? Um that you wanted to start a church or that you needed to and how did you make that decision and what does that process look like? Well, I may have started off a little younger because I have been pastoring since I was 21 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I always knew that God was calling me to preach, but, and I also sensed the, sensed the call to the pastoral ministry. But um, I remember talking to my pastor and he was telling me, uh, he said, I can sense the call of God in your life. He ordained me. And he kind of thrust me forward in, in ministry. And at that time, it's been a complete uh, faith walk because um, for the, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what kind of what to expect. I just know growing up from that moment of being in church and what God had called me to do. And now I'm in my 10th year, celebrating my 10th year Yay, as a pastor. Congratulations. Coming up, uh, on October 21st. Well, actually this whole year, but 
Mm-hmm. Especially on the twenty first. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what did that process look like? Like, how do you, you know what I mean? Because if you just say, "I just started passing at twenty one," well, it's well, like, what? Well, no, like, how well, you do I that? Was, I was licensed early. Licensed at when fifteen, you're, when right? You're licensed in the, in the church that we belong to uh, is just being able to be able to be a speaker. So, I was a speaker. <clears throat> After that, I served as youth pastor for about four years at the Liberty Baptist Church in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. While at Liberty, I taught Sunday school. I taught Bible study. Um, I supported, led, served, as, as well as I served as associate um, pastor at Liberty Baptist Church for some time. Uh, then I served in other various areas. And then after that, my pastor um, and I talked about the whole pastoral ministry. It was not something that happened overnight. Mm-hmm. It was not something that came on a whim. It was something that I that was on my heart for some years and also mm-hmm. on his heart. And we're okay. not a split of liberty. We are a plant, church uh, plant. So some churches, you get mad over here, I'm mm-hmm, going over here. Mm-hmm. We're not a split. We're a plant. We're a nice. birth ministry. Wow. So that's the thing. And the process uh, of, of these 10 years, I think that might be another question because I can talk about that for at least about another 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Ball? Um, well, for me, I, um, I will say the initial kind of seed got planted uh, within me when I was young and in New Orleans because even as um, a minister, even before, while going through the ministry and training program, I began to do demographic studies as a teenager in New Orleans at, you know, what areas needed a particular church and what was the population. Did you do this like, on your own? Or I did it on my own. Study? It was you not did, school. Wow. I, I was in high school at the time. Wow. And so I remember having a file about stuff like that. When I got in the military, I kept the same kind of file. I kept those kind of studies and looked at kind of space capacities, all those kind of things. Um, and then um, I became the youth and young adult pastor at Mount Carmel Baptist Church in D.C. Okay. Um, when I got the military. So I was hired full time there and I served on staff at Mount Carmel for 10 years. And I will absolutely have to say that I learned so much uh, in those 10 years. I also learned that I didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, I didn't want to plant a church. Now, I would put in a resume and go through whatever the pulpit requirements were because I found out then like planning a church was a lot of work and you have to be absolutely insane. And so now <laughs> while I have... Are you trying I, to call me insane? Fall asleep. Well, that's, that's a whole different story about your insanity. So while, while I had the, the capacity and I knew kind of how to stout locations for where church was, was needed... I didn't really have an interest in doing it. And so I remember I lived in Laurel, Maryland, and um, I began to see, okay, Laurel is, is a bit of a transient area because you've got a lot of people coming in for government jobs, right. things of that nature. But they're coming from different places, so they don't have a church home. Right. And so while population was increasing, there weren't a lot of churches really meeting the uh, spiritual needs of the people. And so I called L.K. Floyd. <laughs> and nice. I said, L.K. Floyd, if you're looking at starting a second location, man, definitely consider Laurel. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was literally trying to tell him he should start in law. <laughs> mm-hmm. And God began to work on me. And I think about a month later or so, I told I told my pastor, I told him, I was like, man, I think God is leading me to plant this wow. church. And so I, I shared this with my pastor and the people at Mount Carmel were extremely supportive, still are extremely supportive. I thank God for them. Um, and then I shared it with other preachers and the other preachers told me don't do it and why it wouldn't be successful. That's a whole different story. Right. Was not a lot of support mm. uh, within the 
the black Baptist or any, it's only because as Florida had just shared, some of these churches have histories of just starting from church splits and not being birthed. And so it wasn't a fight or anything like that at all. For me, it was literally a sticky note. And so um, I called some who was willing to provide some level of financial support to help us get off the ground. After that, um, just those initial calls, for nine months, I built a launch team. We would meet at the library just planning and praying about what the ministry would look like. And then we set our launch. And so it took about, it was about a year after having God give me this call or this mission in essence to start a church that we then, uh, that we then launched. I went to church plant conferences and learned as much as possible about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and went from there. Yeah, he was working hard, passing out flyers in the middle of the day, yeah. night. Well, you he, do that as well. I know I do that all, but I, he was working especially hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, so I just... <laughs> well, I thank God for Takes you work. both. Oh, yeah. yeah that, I can only imagine. Uh, so, you know, you're millennial pastors and you are you are preaching and teaching and serving in a community that looks different mm-hmm. than it looks like 10, 15, 20 years ago, et cetera. Uh, so <clears throat> particularly with millennials, how do you engage millennials that are in your church and those, you know, because a lot of millennials sometimes will you'll often hear us say things like well i'm spiritual but not religious and so a lot of millennials weren't raised in the church so how how what you know what are some strategies and tactics that you use um to reach out to millennials um and also the ones that are in your church for one i would generally say that I'm spiritual but not religious means I'm lazy and I don't want to get up on Sunday. That's first of all. Wow. We, that's a lie. Like wow. we, This is I want to do it my way and I want to make it convenient for me. Uh, there are some people who are kind of looking and searching for other things and what have you. That's true. But most people just lazy. They don't want to get up on Sunday. Uh, um, so um, that's one. So I, I generally like just hit that straight off like what does that really mean you're spiritual but not religious it mean you don't want to get up to come to church on sunday morning because the times are convenient for you uh but once you get past that i will say um i think uh, pastor flo disagreed with me on this i think for one we've got to challenge our our method and how we do church and so i think for one we have an antiquated method the best way i describe this is what would it look like if tgi fridays were only (laughs) open on fridays but every other restaurant was closed on friday so then the line would be long because you know everyone would go to tgi fridays right Uh, but then a law changed and all other restaurants were open on friday now tgi fridays is wondering what happened to the people when they're at other restaurants, they have have other other options. options. Right. So in our country, we had the blue law. The blue law literally caused everything to be closed on Sunday. Now we don't have that blue law. It's not that grandmom and them all wanted to go to church on Sunday. They had nothing else to do. So when you now have the movies and you've got the malls Mm -hmm. and I've got shopping Mm -hmm. and not to mention NFL or whatever else, my child now has Little League. So those those things have changed. And so I think we've got to adopt uh, a different way in how we reach people and our models for success in ministry have to change. We used to go based on nickels and noses by how much money you made and how many people were in church on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. We would hurt people like cattle. 
But now that there are more options available, we have to find out how do we get the gospel across the okay. people and not just measure our success by how, many, how people many people are, sitting are heard it on, on Sunday morning at 11, uh-huh. right? So, so what do you do? What are some of the so things So, for example, right now I'm live streaming on Facebook. Right. That's reaching an audience, right? So mm-hmm. my Bible studies are live on Facebook. And when I say that, I mean people from across the country are tuned oh, in amen. to just my live Bible study. And so then I've got questions from people across the country. I remember one young lady... Uh, sent me a message asking if I could give her a call uh, when I get a chance. And I remember that somebody I went to high school with, and she talked about how her son had went missing. And mm. I saw on her Facebook page, this was about October of last year, she uh, hit me up. Her son went missing, but this was in January. So I'm like, she still brings this up. They found her son. Her yeah. son's Thank friend, goodness. her son's friend helped find him. He was stabbed to death in the park. It ends up that the friend is the one who stabbed him to death. And she said to me, Marquez, I have lost my faith. Mm. What do I do? The only reason she would really even reach out to me was because she saw me just live stream faithfully and weekly. Mm. So I became an avenue. I've had mm-hmm. th- I've got like 20 stories just like that. There, wow. She's not coming to my church, yeah. but I at least became a yeah. connecting point for her to stay mm. connected to God. So I think we have to begin well, to look lifeline. at things like like that as well. Well, awesome. um <laughs> I, I agree and disagree on some things. Uh, I am more so uh, traditional in some of my thinking, some of my um, uh, background, because I grew up in a traditional church. Mm-hmm. Um, however, however, uh, some of my philosophy, some of my um, way of doing ministry has evolved over the last few years, mm-hmm. <clears throat> particularly because of the changing dynamics of our church. Yeah. Uh, when I grew up, I grew up in a traditional church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about with the senior choir singing, <laughs> the Lord is the light. You know, I, I grew up with the robes. I grew up with, you know, all that, all that, the traditional elements of church. And I believe that tradition is good as long as tradition is good. Okay. Uh, but as, as long as tradition is not hindering the growth of the church, uh, every church, I don't believe that there should be, we should categorize churches as being traditional or modern, but we should c- consider church whether it is effective mm. versus not effective. So, okay. <clears throat> One of the things when I first uh, began, we had um, young people. Then we transitioned to a point where we had more seniors. Now our church is about uh, probably about 65% millennial mm-hmm. or, or lesser. And then the other 35% are above. Mm-hmm. Now in our church, it's, it's been happening like that in the last uh, few years that we we have a strong population of millennial people, come, millennial uh, young people coming to church, being engaged. And yet we still value the church. We still value Sunday morning. We have uh, Sunday school, which we call a deeper life. We still value the church because all millennials is doesn't. It's not that millennials don't want to go to church. They want to go to church that is effective and that's speaking to them. Right. Right. And so, what so how I do begin, you speak? Well, what I begin to do is allowing the uh, the church to become up, come up with their own ideas. For example. In my earlier uh, years, and I'm saying like I'm an old man or something like that, but <laughs> but in my earlier years of starting the church, I come with the vision, I write it down, I make it plain, you know, put on, and I tell them, now as, as, as my philosophy on ministry have evolved, what I do is I have a planning committee. Mm-hmm. Most of my planning committee are millennials, and I say, how do you want, think the service should flow? Mm-hmm. How do you think, um, we, what, what is your opinion on the on the flow of service what is your opinion on how we do things and so they come up 
with part of the agenda and then I will look at it and approve it and then we're doing it. So it, it's ministering to uh, this generation because it's coming from their own lens. Nice. Nice. Um, I want to see if I can throw in something else here. So mm-hmm. I think when I began to say new models, sometimes it's heard as if I'm saying anti-traditional. So okay. I often let people know that it doesn't mean that millennials are anti-traditional. Uh-huh. We're more, I'm simply saying it's just a different environment. So we've got to adjust to the different environment. For example, I'm a pastor and I've got a son who plays little league basketball. Sometimes he has games at 12 noon. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the case in 72. Right. Mm-hmm. And when when you have a nurse who loves the church, but now Pastor, my shift is on every Sunday. Yes. Or if you've got a child who is in cheerleading or right. in a, a traveling league or what have you, these things have now just changed how we do it. So, for example, I generally say it's how we count attendance. Right. So attendance is only counted for church folk on Sunday. Now, I could be at church Monday through Saturday, but if I ain't there on Sunday for whatever reason, it's if no, God like missed my number. Every day is yeah. the Lord's day to me. Right. right? So you can That's love the Lord on Monday, Tuesday, when like every day you can worship him. It's not just on Sunday. Right, right. So I think we've got to begin to. Make sure we're communicating that because when we limit ourselves on how we reach people, mm-hmm. then we are missing a whole group of people. Not only that, Sunday morning now in the DMV area, people go to brunch, right? So oh, yeah. if you threw mimosas in for your service, then sure, you have a whole <laughs> bunch of millennials there. I, I think we're watering down our faith. I think I think the part of that is watering down our our faith, watering down our convictions, watering down our theology. When you talk about well, any day, so you minimize. You, I think that that minimizes, um, in my perspective, mm-hmm. it minimizes what we do, the church, it minimizes our um, our participation, it minimizes the fellowship. Now, any day, just any time, that's fine. Yeah, you can worship the Lord every day, but this is the time that we come together to worship. We come mm-hmm. together to gather. It's like a sacred, yeah, sacred you, time. We, 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 we become so secular that we've forgotten the sacred. So, I, again, I, I agree with him there <laughs> that our... Our secularization has called Sunday morning is no longer sacred. Now, we can be idealistic and hope that it is. And so we're going to just hold on in there. Or we can say, I still want to reach people with the gospel. And I would do it on Thursday. Alpha Street does it on Saturday evening. Uh So those kinds of things, I think we've got to begin to say our goal is to make sure we are sharing the gospel. It does not mean we throw Sunday away. We still have our service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. And so when people come, come on. I am not upset, though. For example, my AV technicians getting married, him and his wife, right? Our fiance right now are in Paris. The young people going to travel, right? Yeah. So does it mean that he doesn't love his church? No. But does it right. mean he can tune in on Tuesday for our Bible study? Absolutely. It don't matter where he's at. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got to begin to say Sunday is sacred, yes, but we make God available to you as often as we can. Right. And so if I can't come on Sunday, but I'm there faithfully for Bible study. Does yes, that count? I, I think it's priorities too, though. But if I'm working on Sunday. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you look at someone who's a seven-day Adventist. Right. A seven-day Adventist who believes in the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I don't care what's going on. They're not working on Saturday. The church has become so secular that mm. we've lost the sacred. So I think and, that's and, an and, easy and, thing to well, say when you're not seven-day Adventist. Because right. you don't know. Oh. Oh, I have yeah. plenty of friends. But I'm saying, but there, we have plenty of Christian friends. Everyone doesn't do it. But if you are a nurse, whether you are Seventh Day Adventist or not, your shift may very well be oh, on Saturday. Religion. It doesn't mean you don't love your church. Faith. Religion and faith. When you look at it, even, I think Christians, we have watered down our faith. 
I believe that one of the reasons why millennials don't come to church is because we have the church trying to look like the world. Instead of the church changing the world, the world is changing the church. Instead of the church changing the philosophies of the world and making an impact, we are conforming to the world, I believe. I believe if the church was genuinely the church, people would come to church. That's mm-hmm. I don't know what that meant, but okay. So okay. Um, <laughs> I think I understand, but but what I I I have ladies and gents, I have two, you know, theologians and seminarians <laughs> in, in the house, you know, so so but these these discussions um are, are very interesting and you know, we're at a point in time where we're trying to figure out, you know, you know, uh how much is too much or or how little is too little, you know, what the, it's a tightrope, I think. Mm-hmm. I think honestly we're walking, you know, especially as as Christians, for one, um, with considering everything that's going on in the world and in the media, whether it be racism, uh, whether it be sexism, classism, all the things that are going on. Um, the music, it's a different world. Mm-hmm. The music that our children, our young people uh, are consuming and listening to is, is different. Um but what I love most about what both of you do, which you've been a little humble and not saying it, is you both utilize social media heavily. So you still we agree that, um, you know, we want to keep we definitely want to keep our Sunday mm-hmm. as sacred. We want to keep our Sabbath mm-hmm. just like the Jews keep their Sabbath exactly. or like the seven day Adventists. Right. We want to do that. Definitely. However, I get what you're saying, Reverend Ball, as well, is that. For those people who will never, may never step foot in a church because they weren't ever introduced to that or for whatever reasons they're detested by it, you know, we want to be able to offer Christ to them. And Floyd, you do this as well when you're exactly see when you're standing on evangelism, strong on community outreach. Uh, The main one of the main premises of our church is reaching out. So my 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 sentiments was not. Uh, in in saying this or that, but you can evangelize, you can do all that, but there's some things in the church I think we should keep, you know. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, you know, I told you this 27 minutes goes by fast. <laughs> um, so with the two minutes that we have, what are the things that you want to say to millennials? What are things that you wish that millennials knew, whether it be about church or religion or evangelism? And then also what advice do you have um, for, you know, current seminarians or young pastors, young preachers, ministers? I, I would say this for millennials, for one I would simply say give God a try, right? So because we've been brought up in a postmodern world where we have these various options. And so I've had young people who say they aren't Christian, they're Buddhist, or they're Islamic, or they're atheist. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the persons from uh, that survived the Las Vegas uh, massacre literally said this on air, I used to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. But because I'm alive, I know there's a God, right? Wow. That crisis wow. moment wow. changed him. So yeah. I would simply say, give God a try. One thing mm-hmm. I would say to millennials, to seminarians, I would say, know why you're in sem- why you're there. Don't just go there because you want another degree, because you're trying to explore. Believe um, what you're studying, right? So you can lose yourself in seminary if you're not grounded in your faith. So I think it's important to stay grounded in your faith. Find that time to study for yourself. Find a time to stay prayed up and get active in a church. Don't just go to seminary and don't be active in a local church. Make sure you do that as well. 
guys. Well, don't. I know we have time stretches, but don't give up on God. He won't give up on you. Um, and instead of complaining, I think that we should be the change. Gandhi said, be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. And any institution, we should be the change we want to see. If you go to a, a church where it's not... Uh, you don't think it's effective? Be the change you want to see. Of course, I use the Gandhi for a Christian quote. Yeah, anyway. I thought it was funny. I, that <laughs> I know that was funny. And the second thing, <laughs> the seminarians is don't just have, don't just go to school to get education, but also have a practical application to everything you do. Make a difference in the world, change the world, and make this world a better place and light it up. Well said. Well said. And if you could just shout out your um, your social media, Instagram handles. Uh, at RevBall1 uh, for Instagram, as well as you can find me on uh, Facebook at uh, RevBall1 as well. Facebook, L.K. Space Floyd, L.K. Floyd. And then on Instagram, it's L at L.K. Floyd, L.K. Floyd for both of them. God bless you. Oh, you can also check me out at UpliftMD.com. Sorry, UpliftMD.com. All right, everyone, you heard it here. You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Millennial Minds with Yazzie Speaks. Until next time, peace.